performance is not just for top athletes and actors. It's something we engage in every day of our lives. But the question is, are we performing at our best? How we think, feel, and behave all influence our results from day to day. Dr. Christie and her guests will show you the common elements behind performance and how it all ties back to our success. Welcome to The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Hi, welcome to the show today. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Warner, and I'm thrilled to be here with you all. Um, as some of you may know, my, one of my specialties is really bridging the sport and business worlds together around the topic of performance and using tools, primarily the mind, to help people get the results, the best results out of themselves. Today, we're going to be talking about the brain. And about five or six years ago, I became really intrigued in the brain and the field of neuroscience as it related to stress reduction, performance, and overall well-being. So I'm really excited to share various pieces of my knowledge that I've picked up along my journey with you. Um, the, today's show is really split up into a couple sections. We're first going to talk about different parts of the brain and, and which parts are really important to know about in terms of how you're working at work. What derails the brain from it working well? And how can we actually change our physical brain to support us with performance and to support us in our life? We have absolutely no guest speaker today, so you guys are stuck with me for the next 15 minutes. Um, But I will be taking callers later on the show, so if you want to pop on and share or ask a question, please do. I also want to say today is a mix of information coming from various sources. So I wanted to say that up front because there's a number of people on people's work that I'm going to pull from today. One is David Rock, who's the co-founder of Neural Leadership Institute, a consultant and the author of Your Brain at Work, which I absolutely love. If you read one book about neuroscience and work, read that one. Also, Dan Siegel is executive director of um, Mindsight Institute, and he's a giant in the field of interpersonal neurobiology. Also, I talked a little bit about Bruce Lipton last week. He's a neurocellular uh, biologist, really, really interesting path and talks a lot about um, how we can actually change our brain based upon what we're thinking. I'm actually going to also pull from Dr. Palai and Crystal Hughes, who are spiritual gurus who also teach about the brain-body connection. So as we kind of understand the brain and how we can use it effectively, those are kind of the people I'm going to be pulling from today. And... Um, we also kind of hear about various epidemics in the world. We got malaria, the flu, Zika. We also hear a lot about the obesity uh, epidemic here in the United States. And um, the one thing that we talk a lot less about is the epidemic of overwhelm. And this is really an era um, that we seem to be in here, and at least in North America, and I see results very similar in China, England, and Australia. And very few people really talk about what does it take to have an optimal mental health or a healthy brain and the implications of being out of balance. Brain health is often not taught in schools, not discussed in the boardroom, and often not at the dinner table either. So in fact, it's really not at any table. And that's why it's so important to talk about today. How can we really use the brain, how it's developed as a human being, like our anatomy, And how can we use it to increase our effectiveness in our life? Um, And the result is that we often stretch ourselves way too thin. And there's really larger implications to that than really even having an unhealthy physical diet. So I think it's something we got to put on the table to really really look at. Not just the physical, but how are we we using our brain 
and what are we feeding it? So today we're going to uncover if your brain is uh, for overworking your brain or for abusing your brain and what we can do about it. That's where we're going to go. So I just love to start the day, the show off, I guess not the day, um, with Thomas Edison. He said, the chief function of the body is to carry the brain around. So clearly the brain is important and it's important for us to pay attention to. I thought I'd start with a couple fun facts. Um, One is the average human brain is about three pounds. And our brain uses a ton of energy. It's a small organ. It's maybe like, what, 2, five, two to 5% of your total body weight. But it uses up to 20% of your energy that you use in your body. Which means every plate of food that you have, about one-fifth of it goes to feed your brain. So that's right. If you're not eating lunch, you're not feeding your brain. So it's really important, even as a, we're so busy in our lives, but it's important for us to use our food to help fuel our brain so we can be productive and effective. The brain also uses 20% of our oxygen and 10% of our glucosamine that we store just to keep it running. So it's a pretty hungry part of the body. And I would love to start out um, thinking about the pieces of the brain. And I think the best way to do this is um, Dr. Dan Siegel really does a great job of this. And I'm going to try to do this over the radio. He usually does a great video. But it's a hand model of the brain. So if you really take your, your hand and... Um, put your thumb inside your hand and then wrap your fingers around that as if you are making a fist. And we think about the brain in a couple ways. One is you can kind of think of your arm that's coming up as really the spine, your spine. And then where your hand meets your wrist is really the lower part of the brain. And we call that the brainstem that regulates your body, keeps you breathing. It's all those things that are more automatic. And this is a very primitive part of the brain Many people call this like the reptilian brain because this is something that the reptiles have and it's keeping our basic functions working. The midbrain, which is just a little bit above, so in this example of our our hand here is the upper part of your hand and that's your limbic system and that's really the emotional part part of your brain. And I think you guys can probably relate that the, you know, the reptilian part of your brain or the very primitive part of your brain works with the limbic system. And you can see that when you get upset or emotional, right? Your heartbeat starts going a little faster, your hands start sweating. So emotions and the body are very, very much connected already, that part of the brain. Then if you wrap your hands around your finger, finger, or sorry, around your thumb, that's the cortex. And that really was developed mostly in mammals. And particularly what makes us human is the very front of that. So in this representation of this hand, it's the fingernails there. Um, And that's where the prefrontal cortex um, ultimately sits. It's right in front of your forehead there, like, or I guess right behind your forehead. And um, it's really what makes us human. And the prefrontal cortex does a lot for us. And it, but what it mostly does is it regulates our limbic system and our brainstem, what we call the lower, the lower parts of the brain. But it does a lot more than that. And it's really, really important in business to understand what this prefrontal cortex is doing. So your prefrontal cortex gives you wisdom, your ability to prioritize, to make effective decisions, which we know is all very, very important in business. It's the part of the brain that makes us human and in comparison to um, other mammals. And ultimately, it's a C-suite of your brain. It's the CEO and it regulates the rest of it. Um, The prefrontal cortex ultimately is a very, very hungry part of the brain. We just talked about how much energy the brain uses in itself. The prefrontal cortex is taking up quite a bit of that quite a bit of that energy. So if you can kind of think of it like your cell phone, if you're on your cell phone all day long, what happens? 
the battery starts going down and it's not working as well. Well, the same thing happens with your brain. If you're using it all day long, especially the decision-making part, which is that prefrontal cortex, your brain power or energy starts to go down as well, which is why taking breaks and all that is really important because we want that part of the brain to get a break so it can basically recharge, much like plugging in your phone. The other part of this is it gets this part of the brain, and I love David Rock when he says this in the book, it's like Goldilocks. It needs a lot of things correct in order to work, a lot more than what people think. And sometimes when, you, when you're foggy or you're not thinking correctly, you may even actually be hard on yourself that you're not thinking correctly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, really what's happening is that your prefrontal cortex is ultimately just getting very, very tired. And, we, and then we can't prioritize very well. We can't make decisions. We start procrastinating. We go for a cup of coffee. So that usually is a really good indication that you're overworking or decision-making part of your brain, which is almost all day long if you're in the work world. Um, and so what needs to happen in order for us to create more energy for that part of the brain is sometimes we need to give it a break and we need to start to use other parts of our brain so that we're having other parts of the brain work for us. That means, you know, when you do take a break, it's not great to look at Facebook. It's kind of the same data that's going into the into the brain. So it's better to listen to music, dance, go for a walk. You're going to start to use different parts of the brain to allow that prefrontal cortex to truly recharge. So the one thing that I, I now want to talk about is what causes us to be mentally drained or overwhelmed. We talked a little bit about that, of course, overusing parts of the brain and underusing other parts. Um, but what's really important to really note at this point is we could really boil this down very simply. We get overwhelmed when either we have too much input coming from the outside in through our, our eyeballs or ears, too much data going into our brain, or we have too much wandering around internal, our internal environment inside our brain. So we're overthinking, thinking too much, or we've got too much data coming in. And that actually is very, very overwhelming for the brain. Unlike our technology that has really advanced very quickly in the last 50 years, our brain hasn't quite evolved as fast as our technology in the amount of data that's hitting it. So it can get overwhelmed pretty, pretty fast. What's the impact of all of this, as I'm sure you guys have felt, is stress. You feel your your thinking gets a little foggy. You might get anxious. You may make mistakes. Our communication is not that effective when uh, when we're overtired, when our brain is tired. So I'm not talking about sleepy tired. I'm talking about the brain being really tired. The other implications are over time, and we have a lot of overwhelm in this epidemic of overwhelm. We actually can see a decrease in productivity and motivation and daily performance. We see an increase of injuries and accidents, burnout, which we've talked about in a couple other shows, a few shows ago which is really a serious physical and mental condition. And the other thing is, is we're stressing out the brain. And when we stress out the brain, it actually can damage memory centers inside the brain. So some people will say, wow, I'm getting older and I can't remember things. Now, may that may be the case, but it could also just mean that you're really stressed and you're not really being able to clear out those hormones inside the brain. The overload also opens things up to your system, your body, to all types of diseases. When you're stressed, you again, increases of damage to the brain, uh, centers of the brain, which could leave other brain disorders that putting you at risk of that. It also just decreases your whole system. So you're at risk of other types of diseases. 
So I think it's really important to really think through sort of the anatomy of our brain and make sure we're using it effectively. The prefrontal cortex is the most hungry part of the brain, does require lots of glucose. It needs lunch and it needs breaks, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. Um, But it's also just very, very important that we start to take advantage of the knowledge we have of just the anatomy of the brain, that we need time to recharge parts of our brain that indeed help us to think. So if we're going to be effective at work, we've got to be able to think. So when we get back from our quick break here, we're going to talk about what happens when the brain gets derailed and solutions for developing a a healthy brain at work. And so we'll be back in a few minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Thanks so much for joining me today. We have been exploring the anatomy of the brain, and um, we're now going to jump into what happens when the brain gets stressed or derailed. At first, I do want to note that it's important to understand the anatomy of our brain because it actually has a lot of limitations. And sometimes we think it's us, that like us personally, we can't keep pushing forward, we can't keep thinking, but it's humans. I mean, the human brain, again, has not evolved as fast as all of our technology. So it's just something to keep in mind that sometimes we can fault ourselves personally when it's just a human experience that, and we need to pay attention to those limitations. So what does happen what does happen to the brain when we get stressed? Well, I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with the term fight or flight or freeze. 
Um, and what's going on with that is, you know, back in the day, of course, we had that reptilian brain, right? So we definitely have the mechanism to go into that animal mode of fight or flight. Now, that was developed for many, many years ago when we we're fighting lions and tigers. Today, what it happens is it's often a threat to us, like some sort of threat. An email comes in, someone hurts our feelings, we have a deadline coming on. Those ultimately in this day and age tend to be the things that we're they're fighting or fleeing. Um, we do have those moments where someone cuts us off and our life kind of flashes before our eyes. But often it's really these deadlines that are really causing this fight or flight reaction in our brain. So what happens what, when this happens? Well, remember that thumb inside of your, your little hand model there? It's called your amygdala. And it is your emotional alarm. And it really is just on or off. It does kind of flutter a little bit. And you can kind of feel that when you get upset about something and it's sort of like you're kind of on the edge, right? Like as if you're like hanging on to the cliff, you know, are you going to calm down? Or are you going to lose it? Um, and typically when we do get that experience of fight or flight, we ultimately do what we call flip our lid. And um, when that happens, we kind of go from a very reasonable human being to a not reasonable human being. And that can happen a lot. We've all probably experienced that. We've said something we regretted. When we calm down, we're thinking, why did we say that? We see things in a different perspective. And so what's happening when that occurs, what's happening is that the upper part of your brain, where all that decision-making and great thinking is happening, is really not accessible during that time. So it's like basically your fingers just pop right up in our little hand model here. And now you're running your life by your lower part of your brain. You're no longer running it from your prefrontal cortex, which is where all that prioritization and good thinking and regulation is happening. So there's not very much energy or communication going on between your lower parts of your brain downstairs and your C-suite, which we know can cause a lot of problems. And there is a great video on this. So if you can, you can go onto YouTube and put in flipping your lid or name it to tame it. Um, it's also some great videos by Dr. Dan Siegel. And he really goes into detail about, about this mechanism. So I think it's important to know that when we're stressed, we have very little opportunity to think clearly. And there's also some other research from the Center of Neuro Decision Making at Temple University. They conducted a study that measured people's brain activity while they were addressing very complex problems. So it's one thing to kind of see the behavior, right? But what's going on inside? Well, they used the MRI machine to measure changes in blood flow and found that people receive more information um, when they're receiving, sorry, when they're receiving information, their brain activity increases in the prefrontal cortex, which is, of course, that's where all that great thinking is happening, the region right be behind your forehead. And that's responsible for those decision-makings and controlling emotions. But when the information load becomes too much, it's almost like a breaker in your house. And the brain triggers and the prefrontal cortex suddenly shuts down. So we're seeing the exact same things going on in the MRIs we just described in the, with the little hand model. Basically, very little information going through the prefrontal cortex. And what's happening is your behavior is now being driven by your lower parts of your brain. And what they found is that, and I'm going to quote this, is that as people reach information overload, they start making stupid mistakes and bad choices because the brain regions responsible for smart decision making has completely and essentially left the premises. So that's really what's happening here. And it's really important to know that. Again, it's about controlling that and knowing it. Knowledge is power. 
And the startling thing that we're finding with, especially in the corporate world and people in general, is that these moments are becoming more and more frequent in people's lives, meaning we're having these fight or flight reactions more and more during the day. And what's happening with that is it's creating a lot of stress in our body. So we really know that this overload is contributing to things. We also have this epidemic of decision-making going on, everything. So, you know, in the morning, you know, what cereal are you going to buy? What are you going to wear? What's, um, are you going to go this way to work or this way to work? Are you going to drive or are you going to take the metro? What about decisions on those responding to those never-ending emails? We're constantly making decisions. And in any single day, we make over a thousand decisions or more a day. These simple things. Now, that may seem, well, well so what, Dr. Christina? You know, we're all making decisions. But the thing is, is that the more decisions we make, the more tired and less effective we become throughout the day. The brain has a limited resource of energy. Remember, we talked about the prefrontal cortex draining its battery. So every time we make a decision, we actually are using a little piece of that energy reserve. And those decisions kind of chisel away at our mental reserves, draining our energy bit by bit. So at the end of the day, if you're feeling really exhausted, it could be an indication that you're not taking good enough breaks to recharge that part of the brain and or you're making a lot of decisions, which can then make you really feel flustered and overwhelmed and when faced with more important decisions. So this is what I want you to think about. How can you decrease those less important decisions so you can be on your A game to make the important decisions as a leader, as an employee, as a parent? So one thing to think about moving forward, if you have a day where you really need to be on top of your game, reduce the number of choices you need to make on those days. That will give your brain more energy. And I met with a managing partner at Deloitte fairly recently, and we were talking about this concept, and he said, yeah, I, I lay out my, I make all as many decisions at night as I can for the next day so that I'm really fresh. I lay out my clothes, I deliver other things, so I'm very organized for the next day, so I'm not having to waste energy the next day on that. So that's just something to be thinking through. The other thing is that there's a really interesting study by MIT and the University of London. They looked at IQ. They took people's IQ at the beginning of the week. And what they noticed is that people who were connected to technology all day long, by the end of the week, their IQ went down 10 points. And it was actually five points for women and 15 points for men. So it's what's interesting about that is the importance of disconnecting from our technology. Remember, we get overwhelmed when we have too much input into the brain. So making sure you have time to disconnect from your phone, stop checking emails, even disconnect from TV is really, really important for your brain to recharge so that the pieces of the brain are ready to go for the next day. Remember that prefrontal cortex is really finicky and it needs a lot of things correct in order to work well. So really important to disconnect. So this idea that the brain has a certain amount of energy each day is really true. And we kind of experience that. We kind of know at the end of the day, wow, we're really exhausted. So it's important to really understand that because it's not really a way to improve our thinking abilities per se. It's really in how we are managing our energy that we really need to look at. And it's our brains and how we're using it that will really create the difference for us. So it's important, again, understanding our brain's limitations and then using what we know from the research to really catapult our performance every day. So the one thing that can truly, truly drain your brain energy, let me tell you, is multitasking. And who out there is multitasking? Has anyone ever been on a conference call and doing email at the same time? Yes, I'm sure we've all got caught once or twice and then they ask for our input and then what do we do? That's right, we are 
you know, what, we're on mute. Or we say, oh, can you ask that question again? Because it's very, very difficult for our brain to actually be doing two thinking tasks at the same time. There's actually no such thing as multitasking. We're splitting our attention between this task and this task. This is the number one thing that drains your brain power during the day. So choices, yes. Multitasking, yes. Both of them are draining your energy. So if you were actually better equipped for task switching than we are for multitasking. Task switching is when I'm going to do one task and then the other. But I want you to think about this. When we switch between tasks, our brain must, must halt that process or the current rules associated with task A. Then it loads new rules set for the next task. And although this happens quickly, this halting, unloading, loading, restarting takes a toll on your brain throughout the day. So that's why doing focused work, focused time to do one thing is so critical for your performance at work. So multitasking absolutely is impossible anyways, drains your brain energy. You can't really focus and you can't really be present in two places at once. Switch tasking, sometimes we have to do, but I would recommend you minimize that because it's also taking a toll on your brain. So we want to increase your performance and enhance your ability to learn. It's important to be able to focus on one task for an extended time period. The other thing that we know um, can really drain our brain power is swirling things in our brain, right? So too much energy in or too much information coming in or just too much stuff swirling around in there. So one thing to do is really get a system for you to write things down to clear your mind. It's important to get those tasky things out to clear your brain to be able to focus on making decisions. It's very hard to make effective decisions as a leader, as a parent, as a person even, um, if we've got too much swirling around in there. So really get a system that works for you, a notepad you carry around with you all the time, writing down your to-dos. You know, are you using an electronic system, whether it be Gmail or Outlook, effectively to capture tasks? And if you're not, you are going to love next week because we're going to have Sally McGee here and she's a guru around Outlook and creating a system for you to clear your mind and to keep track of things. But it is important to keep those tasky things out of your brain and so it can be clear. The other thing that's very, very important, um, and you've heard me say this already about breaks, it's important to strategically disengage. So I ask you, are you taking enough breaks to unwind, recharge, and take care of yourself during the day? A strategic break is not just one where you're exhausted and now you're procrastinating and you went to go get coffee. It's really part of your day. So think about this, 90 to 120 minutes of productivity of work with a 10-minute break scheduled in and the same thing. When you take those rest periods, and this is all about being a corporate athlete, high performance, very important because your brain needs to recharge so then you can focus on X. The other thing, you also need a break between meeting to meeting so that your brain can then do that task switching. Okay, let me get the program up in my brain around this meeting. Let me get my head wrapped around, if you will, this meeting. So those breaks are really important. So I encourage you to start thinking about how could you schedule your day where you're taking strategic breaks. So thank you for listening. We've been talking all about how the brain can get derailed pretty easily Um, And when we get back, we're going to talk about a little, we're going to wrap up a little more about this, about overload and overwhelm and what we can do about it. And then we're going to really dive into how can we actually change our brain. So we'll be be back in a few minutes.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Hi, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining. We were just talking about some interesting research about how your brain can get derailed. And now I want to jump into how can we help the brain? So what are some strategies further strategies we can help to calm the brain down. And then we're going to get into some cutting edge research on how we can actually change our brain. So we were talking about strategically disengaging. Really important for you to take breaks throughout the day. I know some of you are thinking, are you kidding me? How am I going to get time to do that? But I want you to think about this. What are the costs to just working all day long without without eating, without breaks? The cost is it's really causing a lot of stress on your brain. So think about how much more could you get done if you took a break. So think through that. The other thing is, if you do get overwhelmed, and we all do get overwhelmed at certain points in the day, and certain days are, of course, uh, more filled with, with overload than others, I have a couple strategies to really help you through that. Once you kind of feel like your lid is about to flip, remember how we talked about usually when you go into fight or flight, I mean, you're usually kind of in that moment of, and we feel threatened. Now, we can calm our brain down pretty quickly. And the reason we want to do that, remember, we want to get out of making decisions from our reptilian brain or from our emotional brain because we don't always make the best decisions in that moment. So we want to calm those fingers down or calm those brain down so that we can have information flowing. And basically, we're using our whole brain at that point or most of our brain. 
And there's a couple ways to do that. The first thing, if anyone's into mindfulness, you're going to resonate with this, but the, the easiest way to calm your brain down is actually just breathing and focus on your breathing. It brings you to the, the moment and helps you to calm down, helps your body to calm down. You'll notice your breathing starts to slow down and your pulse will start to go down. All those things that happen when you're in fight or flight. The other thing we know about the brain is when you're stressed, about 80% of the blood actually leaves your brain and goes into your arms and legs so you can fight or flee, right? So back in the day when we were fighting lions and tigers, we needed more blood inside of our legs and our arms than we did in our brain. So you might have naturally put your hand on your head when you were stressed. But what I'm saying this time is do that strategically. Put your hands on your head to help bring back the blood up into the brain. That will help the brain to return, help your brain to calm down. The other thing, this is coming from Dr. Ply's work, and um, he talks about the importance of a, putting a blue sky in your brain. So if you close your eyes and you, you picture a blue sky, it has a lot to do with some neural connections that I don't have the time today to try to dive into. So it's really going to be one of those things you can experiment with, see if it works for you. Close your eyes, picture a blue sky for about two minutes and see if that helps to calm yourself down. The other thing we know is empathy. So whether you, you're upset and you think about empathy towards a colleague, empathy towards a pet, whatever the case is, when we drop into our heart space, we actually help to calm our body down as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about the heart-brain connection. Those are four things that you can do if you're overwhelmed to help bring your brain back into working order there. Because remember, when it's really stressed, it's not actually, it's really disconnected from the downstairs part of the brain to the upstairs. We want both of them to be working for us. The other part is, of course, the importance of fueling the brain. Now, we've already talked about lunch and breaks. It is important to eat a healthy diet in order to fuel our brain. It's also important to work out. These are things we all know. But I wanted to actually bring something else to the table today. I mean, eating right, working out is great. And Emily Deans, she's an evolutionary psychologist psychiatrist, which I've never heard of that before, and I thought it was very, very unique um, field. She has some great articles on diets and what supports the brain, and she talks about the ketonic diet, a very low-carb, high-fat diet actually allows our mitochondria, which creates the energy in our body, to make energy more efficient for the brain. So that kind of diet is not great for elite athletes who are using their muscles all the time, but if you want to be a top performer in terms of your brain energy, Very low carb and high fat diet is actually going to be very great because the brain uses very energy expensive ion ingredients to function properly and efficiently. So if you want to look into that, Emily Deans, um, I would put her name into Google and she got some really great articles on that. She also has some articles on the brain and Parkinson's disease and the impact of what we're eating and, and some other really cool things. So I recommend that. The other thing I want to talk about is salt baths. Now, people think, oh, this is when we're getting very end of the week, you know, we get into a bath, and maybe that's kind of even a girly thing some people may think, but salt baths are really, really important for our systems, and the reason is, is that it helps our body to flush out the toxins, because when your brain is stressed and overworked, you have actually a lot of toxins going on in your brain, and the salt baths actually help to, helps your joints, helps your muscles, but also helps your brain tissue, so it's getting rid of all those toxins out of your body. So if that's one thing that you like to do, I totally recommend it. And I would say if you're going through a rough time, I would recommend three to four salt baths a week to really support your brain and your body. 
The other thing that we know all about is sleep. And if you were listening a few weeks ago, we had Steve Terry here from Thrive that's all about sleep. And one thing I want to just mention here and just remind people the importance of sleep for the brain, for the brain to work. There's so many things why this is important. But going back to getting rid of toxins, sleep allows your body to get rid of that those stressful chemicals in the brain and allow them to be taken out, eliminated. It's also very important. I mean, we all know it's like when we don't get sleep, we can be grouchy, um, irritable, etc. So sleep is so important for the functioning of our brain in so many ways because when we're tired, we can get into that fight or flight stage much easier. So there's no really thinking there. There's no fluttering. You're basically just, you know, into the downstairs mode of the brain. So sleep is critical for brain functioning. It's also critical for healing. So in terms of keeping your body healthy and your brain healthy as you age, very, very important. Again, flushing out those toxins is also parts of sleep. You're healing different parts of your body. For instance, like cardio repair is really going to happen around 4 to 6 a.m. It's really important that we're sleeping during that time to make sure we're getting the proper repair for ourselves. So there's an interesting quote that I wanted to read as we get into not just how the brain, what it needs to function, but what can we do to change the brain? That's a really interesting thing. And this is um, a Canadian psychiatrist said, the brain is far more of an open system than we ever imagined. And nature has gone very far to help us perceive and take in the world around us. It has given us a brain that survives in a changing world by changing itself. So that's kind of an interesting thought. And it used to be that we conventional thinking was that once you hit a certain age, I mean, it was all over, right? Your brain matter, your neurological makeup was relatively static. It didn't change. Even your IQ didn't change. And some of you may have heard the phrase um, that neurons that fire together wire together. What that means is that we have we know that as certain thought processes occur, those neurons fire. The more that that happens, they fire more together. But we used to think that we couldn't change that. Now we know it can be changed. There's more and more research demonstrating neuroplasticity of the brain and its ability to change and rewire itself. So brain plasticity is like an umbrella term that describes lasting change to the brain throughout an individual's life course. And it can be observed at multiple scales from very, very small looking at individual neurons to looking at larger scale changes such as the cortical remapping of the brain in response to injury. We also now know that behavior, environmental stimuli, thoughts, and emotions can cause the brain to change in terms of how it's wired and what neurons are firing together. And this has really, really significant implications for our health development, for our learning, for memory, and also, of course, those that are really into the research and and really helping people with recover from brain damage. And Nicholas Carr, he's the author of What... Um, the internet is doing to our brains he has a very nice little quote here he says we become neurologically what we think and so what's interesting about that is that the researchers from the University of Wisconsin were again using that great MRI brain imagery technology 
has shown that meditation can actually increase the neural mass, the gray matter of the brain, by harnessing this neuroplasticity potential. And this is what makes it possible for us to know that we can actually change the size of our brain, the density of our brain, very much like you, when you exercise, you're changing the muscular structure of your body. We can actually do that with our brain. So it's very interesting to be thinking through this about what actually can change inside of our thought patterns Because remember I just said that it really does make a difference about what we're thinking and our emotions and our environmental stimuli. So even what we're we're watching on TV, what we're reading, what we're allowing into our eyeballs to be absorbed, what we're listening to can all impact the neurons in our brain. And I mentioned Bruce Lipton last week, and I'd like to really talk about this again. Bruce Lipton has spent 20 years teaching medicine. He has a PhD in cellular uh, biology. When he first went into the field, he had a paradigm called gene determinism. This is what was taught to him. That's what he knew to to be true. And what this is, is that the idea that our genes cannot change, that we don't have any control of our genes and that, you know, if we, if all, if cancer is all in our family, we're likely to be at risk of cancer. So he's really got some interesting research as he started to look at cells in a petri dish 20 years ago he started to realize the environment of those cells actually start to change based upon the environmental circumstances which means that started to give him some idea that it's not true about this gene determinism and so when we get back i'm going to get into more into what's called epigenetics and talk a little bit about how beliefs fall into this category and what we can start to do around our thinking to actually change our genetic makeup. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you for listening. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to hone the right skills to become a CEO or stay there as a competitive strategic leader, Check out CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. You'll learn the tips to success and hear from the experts who are at the top of their games. You'll make your company stand out from the competition and build your own reputation in the process. Top executives are made, not born. 
So take charge of your future growth. Listen for CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a really fun 40 minutes talking about the brain. This is one of my near and dear topics to my heart because it's such an interesting field, especially as we talk about business and leaders And before we went on break, we're talking about Bruce Lipton. He wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. It is absolutely fabulous. And what he started to notice was that when he was looking at Petri dishes and different cells, and I'm sort of simplifying his his scientific uh, rigor here, um, but he noticed the environment actually changed the cells. So it's not really predetermined. And what um, he noticed is that it's really epigenetics. And what that really means is that the study of changes in organisms caused by modification of gene expression rather than altering the genetic code itself, which means it's just changing how the gene gets expressed. So the great thing is, is that we are actually not victim to our genes. Um, We can actually change our beliefs and the impact, what we're thinking impacts our physiology much, much more than we thought previously. And so he talks about in the biology belief, the importance of really what you're thinking, because it actually can create a physical response in your body. And if you think about cancer, cancer is really just a miscommunication of the cell. The cell didn't die like it was supposed to, and it starts to replicate. So it's all about communication. And what he talks about is that, yes, there are certain things that occur that if you have the gene, the gene can be exposed. Like, for instance, stress could expose a gene towards a particular disease. So stress is really important to keep under control because we want to keep sort of those genes covered up that create those diseases. Or we can actually change our thinking. So I think it's really important as you think about your family lineage, not ignoring what goes on with your family history, medical history, but also really thinking through, if you can change your thinking, you can change your brain, you can also change your physiology. And I really encourage people to read The Biology of Belief. Um, I could probably talk about uh, (laughs) that book for a whole show. The other thing is about 10 years ago, it's interesting, they did a study where they put people in two random groups. One wrote Um, affectionate thoughts towards a close friend or family member and the other group just wrote um, were asked to just write about anything but not specifically about affectionate thoughts and they did this over for a five-week period and what they found was that the people who wrote affectionate thoughts actually reduced their cholesterol levels so again we're starting to see the connection between thinking the positivity and the lower cholesterol so we know it there is a connection between what we're thinking and our body. And Ray Stevens says the human body is a funny thing. It's very susceptible to tempo and melody if you put the right words to it and it becomes very influential. So it's very important for us to put the right words and the right thinking in our mind to help our body not only perform well, but also um, so that we're re- being able to retrain the brain. We can also calm it down by thinking as well. 
The other interesting thing about the really cutting edge research here is coming from the HeartMath Institute. And they're really looking at the connection between the heart and the brain. And what they found over the last 25 years is that these two organs actually communicate. It's a two-way street. It's not the brain uh, communicating to the heart. The heart actually communicates more information to the brain than we thought. So it's called like a, a heart brain. We also know in the stomach um, that there's there's a set of a set of cells in your stomach that actually has a type of intelligence to it, and we really realized with uh, antidepressants that serotonin uptake inhibitors really upset the stomach. We couldn't figure out what that was for the longest time in terms of the research, and it turns out there is this cell of intelligence there. And it's, again, serotonin is a brain chemical. And that was what what was really causing the stomach upset was because these particular bunch of neurons were also taking up this serotonin. And so what's interesting about about that is we always talk about that um, gut reaction or the gut instinct. Well, it turns out there is something to that. There is an intelligence in our stomach. There's an intelligence in our heart and our brain. And they communicate in a lot more um, information flow than we used to think. So... Without getting into too much detail, I totally recommend if you're interested in understanding how the heart can really can, uh, communicate with the brain, which remember earlier I told you empathy is a really, really great tool to calm the brain down. Well, there's a connection there. I recommend HeartMath, and they have a wonderful 30-page handout. It's called Exploring the Role of the Heart in Human Performance, and they'll do a much better job of uh, explaining that than I will in this next few minutes. So heart math is very, very interesting. So we've got all this really cutting edge research kind of showing that the brain can can change and shift. We know the heart and the stomach also have sort of brain-like intelligence or, or cells within those that help us to communicate, um, to be aware of our surroundings where we get those gut um, feelings or instincts from. So it's, what's interesting to me is if we really take all that we can change our circumstances and we can change our beliefs and beliefs are really super important again to how we're thinking, how we're feeling and of course and then how our behavior. So how do we change a belief? So I'm going to very quickly walk you through a process and then we'll move into our recipe for success. Of course if you're driving don't close your eyes but if you happen to be at a desk um, please you can go ahead and close your eyes and I want you to imagine walking down a stairs like almost like in a dungeon if you will. And when you get to this room, there is a classroom. And on the chalkboard, I want you to write down your limiting belief. Something like, I don't have enough time. I'm not worthy. I'm not a good public speaker. Whatever the case is. I want you to really see it. When you're ready, I want you to splash some water on it. Make sure that belief is no longer there. Really, really cleared off that board. And now I want you to replace it with a positive belief. I am a great public speaker. I am worthy of love. I am an affectionate person. I am abundant. I'm wealthy. Whatever it is that you want to switch your belief around, I want you to write it. And I want you to write it in like gold or silver. So it really sparkles. I want you to stare at it until you really feel a shift. Once you feel like that shifted for you and you kind of know internally, then you can go ahead and exit and come up the stairs. Now, I did that pretty quickly, but you can do that over and over again to shift your thinking and beliefs. You're basically reprogramming the brain to start thinking that this belief is true for you. 
So there's lots of ways to change beliefs. There's um, emotional freedom technique, and there's lots of different ways to do it. That's one that I have found very useful for myself and for for clients and really shifting that. Now, does it change overnight? No. You may have to do that a couple times because remember your brain, remember the neurons on the fire together um, are wired together. So you may have to do that a couple times, but I, I encourage you to give it a shot, right? Give it, give it a shot and see what it does for you in your life. So as we wrap up today and we're thinking about the brain, um, Dr. Wayne Dyer says, being relaxed, at peace with yourself, confident, emotionally neutral, loose, and free-floating. These are the keys to successful performance in almost everything. So keeping that brain calm is really important. So practice brain health. That's really important in order to keep our brain functioning. And David Rock and Dr. Dan Siegel put together the Healthy Mind Platter, and you can Google that as well. And they have five or seven things, kind of like a platter that you can pick from, daily activities that you can do to keep your your mind healthy. First is focus time. Make sure you have time to focus on on your goals. Play time. Give yourself time to be spontaneous and creative during the day. Connection time. This is your connecting, hopefully, in person with people, colleagues, family, etc. That creates a very rich, it activates the brain's um, relational circuitry. Physical time. Get the body moving so that the brain can actually take a little bit of a break while you're being physical. Time in, which means time to reflect. Time to connect with yourself and what happened during the day. Downtime. Time where there's no goal. There's nothing to focus on. Let the mind wander and simply relax. This can help us to recharge. And, of course, sleep time. We talked about the importance of that. So I think that platter kind of gives you a little menu of things that you can really do to support yourself. And that's what I call the recipe for success, that first part of it. The second one is meditation. It really, scientists really show that that helps the whole brain thinking. It helps the hemispheres of the brain start working together, the logical part, the, the right brain and the left brain abilities to come together. So meditation, if that works for you, that's one of the recipes for success that I'm going to recommend to help recharge your brain. Recognize the strain on the brain and the fact that there are some limitations. So calm your brain by breathing, putting your hands on your head, picturing the blue sky. Do something when you start to notice that you might flip your lid. You want to do something to calm your brain down so you have your full capacity to think. And then the last thing I I want to leave you with is find out what triggers you and shift your belief around it. Use that school technique to shift your belief. Research others. Find something that works for you to help to shift your belief. And I totally recommend the book, Biology of Belief, if you want to dive into that further. So we often have heard and likely experienced that enhanced technologies and increased access to information continues to blur our both our professional and personal lives. And many workers nowadays mistake being busy for being productive. Well, next week, we have an organiza- organizational guru and CEO of McGee Productivity Solutions, Sally McGee, with us. She's an international speaker, author, consultant, and a pioneer in productivity. She's been working on work-life balance and productivity for nearly 25 years. Her company is a coaching, training, consulting firm that specializes in productivity solutions for individuals, teams, and organizations. MPS is well-known for their corporate training called Take Back Your Life, a personal productivity seminar that focuses on managing productivity in the information age, creating healthy habits, with workflow and ensuring Outlook and other technology tools are working for you, not controlling you. 
Working with many Fortune 500 companies, employees save an average of 10 hours back to their schedule each week after this training. So tune in next week to hear strategies on how you can better manage your email, capture actionable items, organize your to-do list, all while feeling in greater control, feeling calmer at work, and creating more space for the activities you love. If you want time back, and it sounds like you may want that. Everybody wants a little time back in their life, right? Don't miss next week's show with Sally McGee. Until then, plant some seeds for change in your life and consider what small micro change you can make this week to increase your mental game. See you next week. Thank you for tuning into The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Please be sure to join us again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Let's talk next week.